over the, the past two games for that, that'd be a really, really fun playoff series to watch if it ever got to that point. Like, I think that'd be more fun than just about any other matchup that you can think of. Yeah, and, and I think the added bonus to that is is that Dallas, the, the fans there, I think are the one fan base who aren't actively, for some reason, not actively against a rivalry with the Predators. Everyone else, like if you talk to fans of other fan bases, they're like, no, 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 we're rivals with these guys. We don't want to be rivals with you. It's like, guy, it's not like kindergarten playground here. It's like, we don't have to do this. You can be rivals with all sorts of people. Mm-hmm. But okay. Dallas, at least, they're willing to get in and yeah. get into it. And Dallas is a Dallas plays a fun style. I'd rather see them play against Dallas than say a St. Louis, which St. Louis is just going to try to neanderthal you to death. You know, it's... Can I use this time to, to mention how much I dislike um, Rousseau? Who? Roussel? Roussel? Charles uh, Roussel? Or... Roussel? Yeah. Oh, Anton Roussel. Anton Roussel, yeah. Roussel, yeah. 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 It's going to be hard to differentiate between Russell and Roussel, but yeah, he's Roussel. a human excrement, that guy. That I, I don't... He's like Shane Doe without the talent. That was pretty good. But how would you put him on like the Alex Burroughs Alex Burroughs scale? Because Alex Burroughs is the guy that I, that, I that's like the pinnacle right there. Yeah. I, well, I think I, I, well pinnacle. So I think does that mean the scale goes from Alex Burroughs being most effective and a pest that's terribly annoying and a little dirty? So is he like 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 a ten? And then on the other end is Zach Ronaldo, who is to, who's a complete pest but totally ineffective and a psychopath. And you have like Dustin Brown, kind of like a little bit more towards the the Burroughs. Dust, I guess well, Dustin middle. Brown would be like the middle, Dust, right? Dustin, well, maybe. Like I don't that, know. that would be just like maybe, pure maybe neutral. Maybe Burroughs is the middle and Dustin yeah. Brown is is the top. No, Doan right now has like twenty five goals. Doan's at the top. Well, right it's now. it's named the Doan scale, but Dustin <laughs> Brown's the Welcome into a show that uh, apparently it's, is, is it working? Yes. Great. This is the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lions on Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Chris Link. He's John Garcia. I'm Dan Bradley. Uh, brought back some contraband from the great state of Kentucky. This is the Kentucky Peach Barrel Wheat Ale. And we haven't drank on the show in like... Since the first one of the season. Months. No, I think the second one. But this is like Kentucky Kentucky Brewery is like my favorite brewery in the whole wide world. Their bourbon barrel is one of the best beers it's the, ever. It, yeah. Uh, I can just sit there and just consume it and, and, and it makes me happy. But and this is a good spring. You you can taste the barrel in, in this beer. It what, tastes like peaches and wood. It's very interesting. One of my favorite things about uh, visiting Lexington back when I was going to school and I uh, had some friends that lived there was that every bar had just the regular Kentucky ale for like $2.50. That's a great beer, too. It is. I was, was going to make a joke about how since it was aged in a barrel, it tasted very oaky. And then I, then I read the label, and yes, it was, in fact, aged in an oak barrel. Yeah. They, they age it uh, and just use bourbon barrels. So That's fantastic. It was excellent. So that was pretty much my week. I uh, discovered that uh, discovered like the entertainment district of Louisville is essentially like a um, Bards, like, Bart, Bardstown Road. No, I went to uh, I went to Fourth Street. Interesting. Fourth Street is like it, it has like a canopy over it, so it, it feels like if you took Branson, Missouri, like the food, like the restaurants and stuff, and just threw it like in the middle of a city street and put a canopy over it, and everything looks like a '90s mall. And it was you know it was great. Louisville's yeah. a fun city. I, you know what I liked Louisville. Um, it's definitely it has it's more akin to St. Louis than it is Nashville in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I enjoyed it. Well, I, I think the big difference is that, I mean, it is 
and please forgive me, Louisville. I can't say it. Louisville. I can't do it. L u h v u l. Louisville. It's 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 beyond my pronunciation abilities. Um. It, it it's really kind of it's it's properly a midwestern city, so and that's that's significantly different because you say it's more like St. Louis than Nashville. Yeah, because you're talking about two midwestern cities versus Nashville, which is kind of like on that line. Like it's a southern city. Yeah, at, yeah. I was going to say not, at, a, at its heart, it's a midwestern city with a southern charm to it. Yeah. Nashville? No. Louisville. Oh, I'm like yeah. that doesn't seem, food okay. wise. It's definitely a southern city, but mm-hmm. as far as like population base, you know, a lot of demographics. As far as like your in history wise, it's an older city. It's very much like a Midwestern city, but yeah, it was a lot well, of fun. Industrial-wise, I'd say it's also a Midwestern city. I'd say that's fair, too. But uh, I'm also swung by Elizabethtown and saw the, uh, like, unlike the town square, they have a Civil War cannonball still embedded in a building. I spent a week there on a, uh, doing a photo uh, workshop there. I got to know that place real well, because I only slept about, like, three hours a night. I have only ever been through Kentucky and through Louisville. I can't do it. I'm um, only oh, in Indianapolis, hmm. which I can say. Uh, Link, how was your weekend? Uh, it's pretty good. I played uh, as a friend yelled at me for being a hipster. I, I played lots of Stardew Valley, which is a farming simulator. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah, I just bought a chicken the other day. It was awesome. Uh, it's a very did, happy. Did you chicken. have to work up to be able to buy the chicken? Oh, I had I had to uh, save up money and get stone and chop down trees so I could supply the builder with materials to build both a a chicken coop, but also the uh, the the silo for all the feed. Interesting. Yeah, and I just planted watermelon this morning, so I'm really excited about that. I'm gonna have some melon in, a, in about a, in about a week of game time. So that was exciting. And also, if you followed me on Twitter, you knew I finished a book yesterday that absolutely drove me insane. Uh, I was really, really excited about this book. It was it's like it's a classic kind of you know really good space opera. And I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't read a space opera in a long time. This could be a lot of fun. Like just like a cross galaxy romp and adventures. I read this entire thing. Nothing happened. It was so it was like the big hundreds of pages. Of space okay, but nothing happened, and no matter what conflict popped up, everything was fine. And the conflict was all pretty minor. It's like, oh, this thing happened within five pages. It was resolved, and everyone was like, "We love you and embrace you, and everything's fine." It was like a less interesting Star Trek in terms of because it, it was very episodic, and everything was fine, and all the bad things were really someone else's problem. And like even like the, the the one character who was unlikable was like oh he's like xenophobic and all these things, literally within the space of a chapter he like gets arrested, they file paperwork and rescue him through paperwork. That sounds so <laughs> and then, boring. And then he then he's just like after that he's just this fantastically open accepting person, and everyone's like oh hey we love you now and before we loved you but but not in a way that was really embrace. It, it was so frustrating because because it was. This? I can't remember her name. Um, it was a very competently written book. The characters had potential. the The universe she created was was really interesting. This I, was probably like a, I, like a set of rejected Star Trek scripts. No, no, that I, were con- I so <laughs> want to be invested in the world because the world was so cool, but there was no conflict, and the characters were sort of like the conversations you would have with like a friend at a dinner party, assuming all your friends were like very very liberal. And and then, but in, but the end, I'd, I'd read something. A conflict I was like, it's gonna end fine, and it would end fine. Hmm. And then like they killed, like they killed one character off, and I was like, you know what? If you're gonna kill any character, you might as well kill, kill that one. It's fine. <laughs> and like I I wanted to care so badly, and I couldn't. It frustrated. So I finished the book, and I'm just like, 
it's like a three out of five rating, but it could be so much. I just it drives me nuts. You can tell. Like I'm still talking about it right yeah. now, so you yeah. can tell. It just it frustrates me to no end because it's like four or five. Everyone gives these rave reviews, and I'm like, it's fine. Space. It's gonna be okay. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> like you could, re- as I said on Twitter, you could replace the spaceship with a pizza parlor and make it about like make it about a catering event. And it could have been the same story. <laughs> like, it was aliens just because they wanted to write a book with aliens. Well, they fired Greg because he's a xenophobic. Oh, well, he, no, it's okay. He went through corporate training. Now he's better. Yeah, you could. I mean, yeah, it just. <laughs> that's really, like, how I felt about it. It was really frustrating because I just. There's so much potential there and none of it was tapped. Oh, man, my weekend sounds so apathetic compared to that. It's like I didn't care about anything this weekend oh, as much I, as you care about. You're, you're, that I also book. get very upset about J.K. Rawlings if you'd like. Well, which one did you read? Oh, I didn't read. Oh, no, I mean uh, the uh, her whole uh, history of magic North America thing that uh, has been totally insensitive to Native Americans. Oh, I haven't, oh, I haven't seen it. You, you got to look that up. It's it's crazy. Interesting. I it would, it's weird weird for an uh, English person to start writing well, about Native American culture. That was, Is that, that what it was, was about? Oh, yeah, the, that was a big portion because it was the history of magic in the United States uh-huh. and, and a lot of it. And she got. You know, people reached out to her prior saying, hey, we're really concerned. You should get some consultants, some people to be. And, you know, it, it, and the first part came out as very kind of uh, as people were describing as colonialist. Because very much, you know, talking about, hey, you know, the, you know, trying to make them sound equal. But at the same time, it was it very much was, oh, and then the Europeans brought this to them and they weren't doing this. And the Europeans gave them this. And uh, it was very stereotypical. Um, very trope ridden as far as Native Americans are concerned. Uh, and and. I, I rightfully, um, and, and I'm not in a place to judge, but I, I happen to agree that the Native American community is very upset about it because mm-hmm. it's just it's the same thing. It's the same like your magical, mystical Earth people, and they're like, no, we we have cars and we're modern and we still exist. Like we're actual people, and this is our religion that you're turning into your history and co-oping. Hmm. So I mean, yeah, I can get angry about all sorts of things if you'd like. I guess we're going to have to do a general podcast, just like not Predators talk, but... You know, we have an unlimited sound Link, Link, Link gets mad about things? Yeah. We have an unlimited uh, sound This week on Link gets mad about things. We'll just like, keep it separate from the RSS feed or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. John, what'd you, uh, other than painting... Uh, yeah, so uh, other than painting, which is still ongoing, and it's going to be ongoing for probably another like week or two, probably, um, I checked out an exhibit at the Frist that opened up on Friday. It was uh, basically Soviet propaganda photography. <gasps> It was actually very interesting. Oh, yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah, it was, uh, it was. It started out really like avant-garde stuff with like self-portraits and things that were just like, I wish that I had a camera back in the 1900s because I could take a picture of a tree and call it avant-garde and then put it up in a museum because that is awful. But then as you start getting through, they did more like industrial stuff and you know as uh, Stalin was taking power, uh, like by the end of the exhibit, there are all these like smiling, happy faces and everything like that. But this is right in the middle of when he's like you know killing millions of people because they had so much control over what he would what the photographers were documenting that they couldn't photograph life as it really was. Do they have space? No, they oh, don't. Okay, Soviet no. space propaganda is like my favorite. <laughs> my favorite just bizarre propaganda. Yeah. All, time, all time favorite propaganda. Go <laughs> yeah. Soviet space Soviet propaganda. Space propaganda. <laughs> That's a that's a deep cut. Um, after that, uh, after that, probably uh, Mikhail Gorbachev's anti-drinking campaign. Huh. Yeah, it's it's really funny. Uh, other than that, I finished House of Cards this week. Have you seen it? Uh, I haven't started season four yet. Okay, better than a, season three. Thank you. That's all I needed to know. Yeah, <laughs> season three was, was yeah. still not as interesting as season one or two. So on my way to uh, Louisville, um, Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. Actually, if L- you 
Check out this. This is right here is on the, like the side of the visitor center in Louisville. All the different ways to pronounce that. Yeah. So we've got Louisville, we've got Louisville, we've got Louisville, Louisville, and Louisville, and then Louisville. E. Yeah. Oh, Dan, I want uh, before I want you to tell the story, but um, if if you really are into like kind of a combination of um, World War II era kind of Russian mm-hmm. culture combined with um, Russian mythology, there's this book called Deathless, and I had to look at the author's name, uh, uh, Catherine. M. Valenti. It is uh, a fascinating read. Um, if it's because it, it it looks at Russian um, mythology at the time of World War II and, and the effect that would have on modern mythos moving forward. It's a fascinating, fascinating story. Definitely it can be a little difficult to get through at times, but it's just it's very engaging. Hmm. So I'm driving to Louisville, and um, I actually uh, I popped up my phone and I was listening to the Everton radio broadcast. Which, by mm-hmm. the way, if you ever get a chance to, if you're a my chance a soccer fan. Listen to their radio team versus like the radio teams in the states because you know our our guys are you know good old down home homers you know and they you know they, they will talk longly about their own team that's fine but European it's, or English especially the radio crew has a completely different uh, agenda and that is uh, you're watching the game we're just giving you a soundtrack to it so they're not always telling you everything that's going on on the pitch. Nevertheless, a lot of fun. Uh, Everton ends up beating Chelsea. Chelsea has a far superior team. Everton beats them, goes on to the FA Cup semifinals. Link, multiple times on this show, you've mentioned that you prefer the idea of having a NHL, just like a regular season to where, you know, everybody plays everybody. It's a point system, and whoever wins the regular season, they're the real champion of the NHL. Or something, I mean, not, not, you're paraphrasing here, definitely, but something to that effect. And, you, and cup competitions are separate. Well, I think my my main thing is is I really believe the President's Trophy should matter a lot more than it does. I mean, a lot of people get into like, oh, yeah, it's President's Trophy. It doesn't really matter for anything. Um, and that's my main thing is I, th- I think it, it means so much to be the most successful team over 82 games in an entire league. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that those division, cha- those conference and then the league, cha- league trophies uh, are just so... Uh, maligned, and I think it's a real shame because they do have prestige and history, and and they're very very difficult to win. I think it's interesting, uh, kind of going along that topic with you know people once the playoffs start, they say, oh, well, the President's Trophy team, like it never never wins the Stanley Cup, but it doesn't guarantee anything, and it doesn't matter if you win the President's Trophy if you don't win the Stanley Cup. Um, I saw something rehashed the other day that the President's Trophy winner has like a thirty two percent chance to win the Stanley Cup, whereas the next highest. Uh, is like a fifteen or fourteen percent chance. Um, still, I mean, when when you're thinking about Stanley Cup winners, you always pick the field because it is so hard to win that championship. But I still think it's interesting that statistically, you have a better shot of winning the Stanley Cup after winning the President's Trophy than you do anywhere else. I mean, and that makes sense because if you project, you know, uh, goals scored and goals against and all those things over 82 games, you're going to have a decent idea about the capabilities of that team. The problem with this, though, is that if we're comparing it to other leagues where everybody plays everybody evenly, if you have divisions like we do here in the NHL, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to do that because, you know, Dallas and Chicago have to play each other, you know, four or five times a year, whereas, you know, the Caps don't have to play Dallas. Mm -hmm. You know, the Cap, if you compare the Central Division compared to the Metro Division, that's a different world. But my question was this. Let's say if we do, if uh, in this hypothetical, wonderful world that we've created, that uh, we're going to have a English style table where everybody plays everybody even number of times. Let's say everybody plays everybody four times or so, home and home, and then you have a cup competition that's separate. 
who would win? Who would win each? Uh, who would, who would be the best cup team in the NHL? So uh, single elimination, unless it's a draw, or unless it's a yeah. So this is this is all thirty teams in a table together. Wow. Because yes. I would I would divide I would just keep an East and West and have two different leagues, hmm. um, and then you could expand within those and then literally have like if you had like a cup tournament that be between all the teams in the league, um, and then have the champions of each. Yeah, you could do a lot of cool yeah, you stuff. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. I, if the point. NHL is looking for opportunities to have a whole bunch of big marquee events that attract things, I mean, imagine if every year your outdoor game was between the winner of the Eastern Conference and Western Conference playing for another trophy. Hmm. I mean, you could just create crap. I and mean, the NHL loves creating new crap. Who would be the best team? Um, so the best team over the course of everybody I, played everybody. You know, I think... Um, now, <laughs> there's two ways to look at this. One is... Do teams, does the mentality change and teams are gunning for that position? Or is it the same mentality where people still want to win the cup more than anything else? Because there's a distinction there. Because I think um, if Chicago was going pedal the floor full season rather than doing their normal kind of coast in and out or just rely on, on what happens, they would be very, very scary every year because they're a well-run team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, you know, that would be a really good example. Um I think out east. I think my 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 overall answer would have to be the Capitals. Um, one because they're a well-run team. They have structure. They have good ownership. They have good coaching. They're very deep. They have the best goal scorer in the league, which is the most important thing to winning games. They have Braden Holtby, uh, and they've got a you know, good a, a decent pipeline. So I mean that that tells me that's somebody who can repeat and be consistent. I think the Blackhawks could also be a threat if they were focusing on just winning winning out and rather than just making the cup. Uh, making the playoffs, but do you think you? Yeah, but you do see it would be more of a split uh, priority where you would see certain teams focus on the league championships, some teams would focus on the Stanley well, Cup, which uh, would be a separate. Yeah, and that's why I think it would have why you'd have to divide the U.S. sorry North America into two leagues because you'd have to decrease the number of relative games being played by each team to accommodate having a a, a cup tournament that's happening at the same time. So you couldn't, you couldn't. I don't think you could keep an eight-two game schedule and then start throwing in cup tournaments because mm-hmm. that's gonna True. that's gonna lead to injury, exhaustion, and people are gonna be, would would leave the league. But you also be getting rid of the playoffs too. Oh, so so the like this like for example, the if playoffs the Stanley Cup. You no you would more. just it would just be a bracket tournament. At it would that just point? be a single elimination bracket. Oh, that's tournament. well, that's yeah. that's changing the world. That's changing the world. like we're we're just we're just spitballing an idea because yeah. March Madness is coming around. You know, the, one of the best single elimination tournaments in the entire world. Mm. As as a non college sports non basketball fan, it's always strikes me as being so weird. At March Madness happens so late in March. I always think it's like the whole month. Well, like it it's is. a mar- It's a month of. Is well, it, it is, is it? because you have the conference tournaments, which decide who gets the automatic bids <laughs> and some of these smaller. Like, yeah, those have been going on for what a week now. Two yeah, weeks. They just finished today. <sighs> yeah, it's amazing yeah. how many games they, they. I mean, there's so many teams, and it's amazing how quickly they. Yeah. Because uh, everyone like it, it's actually kind of funny because I know all the bracket drama was going on today with Vander. Of course, every game you're excited because Vanderbilt made that I'm those stunned. little four blocks, whatever those yeah. the, the things that are going to be on True TV, the play-in games <laughs> um, in Dayton, Ohio. So so at seven o'clock tonight. For my nerdy neck of the world, they're actually having the round of 64 drawings for the Heroes of the Dorm, which is um, college teams competing for $500,000 worth of scholarships in, in eSports. And so it's, it's the kind of thing, it's funny, they're doing that on the same day, they're doing the March Madness, which has got to be intentional. Yeah. Um, but they're waiting long enough where it won't kind of make sense. So I, I just think that's kind of cool. All right. 
Uh, so just spitballing an idea there. I think it'd be kind of fun at least to see. Um, personally, I just I always bet the Kings when it comes to playoffs, and you know, batting. I'm batting fifty percent with that. Yeah, Anaheim would be a good bet for the regular season. I had to say, yeah. if, if you're predicting your accuracy at fifty percent in the NHL, you're doing pretty good, Dan. <laughs> That's excellent. All right, let's talk about some recent games. Uh, the Predators started this past week with a uh, win in Winnipeg. Uh, not the greatest game they've ever played, but they showed some resiliency. They proved they were the better team, pulled away late. Uh, Colin Wilson voted the first star of the game, which was on NHL.com, which is pretty funny. Cause he only had eight minutes and 51 seconds of ice time, and he had two assists. Moved down with Colton Sissons, and already that chemistry looks pretty evident. He works real hard. He works real hard. <laughs> well, I think limiting Wilson's minutes, uh, and if he knows that that's going to be going on for right now, I think that's a great thing for him because it always felt like he was always in his own head and as as much as anything else, which is why last year he got, or last summer he got a sports psychologist to kind of help help him through that. But if he knows he's going to be, you know, playing a fourth line role, if he knows that he's only going to be getting, you know, eight, nine minutes a night, uh, he can focus on those eight, nine minutes rather than thinking about those 15, 16, 17 and thinking that he's going to have to do a lot and carry the team. And you look at that fourth line, and I think this is also a credit to Colton Sissons coming in and just being a fantastic fourth line center. Uh, that fourth line has looked really good so far this week. I mean, they're uh, some of the best shifts that we've seen from them. Yeah, some of the best shifts that we've uh, seen from them so far uh, have come in the past couple of games, and some of the best shifts in the games have come from that fourth line, and I'll get to one of those specifically later. Um, but I think that's good for Colin Wilson. The, of course, the downside on that is he's getting paid $3.9 million to be on the fourth line. But uh, Well, you know who else is getting paid over $4 million to be in the fourth line? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, it was actually fun. Uh, I I think I noticed it really uh, being being very prominent during the Vancouver game on Twitter. People being like, "Paul Gostad, who we have Colton Sissons. Why would you play Paul Gostad when you have Colton Sissons?" Welcome aboard, people. We've been just preaching it for how long now? A couple oh, wow. weeks. No, I, no. <laughs> that, that's, long that's long enough where yeah. I'm out of incense for the shrine. So somebody <laughs> needs to bring some more next week. <laughs> As a whole, I mean, the, there's not a whole lot of uh, really to talk about with the Winnipeg game. Uh, Craig Smith had two goals. That pass from Philip Forsberg to, for the really for the go home goal, awesome, mm-hmm. awesome moment there. Following up with an overtime loss against Calgary, they played like just they, didn't they played to, like Calgary on a on a Tuesday Tuesday night. Forty minutes was just absolute uh, riding garbage. Uh, he had a, two uh, defensive lapses that allowed Johnny Gaudreau to uh, hit a couple of goals in. Johnny Gaudreau is just so much fun to watch. He is. Yeah, and he, he the cool thing about Gaudreau is that even and why he stands out so much is on such a bad hockey team, he can make individual plays, and that's the kind of guy you build a team around. Mm-hmm. Is someone who can be unbelievably successful on a really bad team. And you have a guy next to him who's kind of like a good. Um, if you're using like a scientific method, Sean Monahan's like the control group. Like he know here, you know where he's going to be. <laughs> yeah. He's the guy who's going to be right in front of the crease. He's going to draw some attention just by being big and being in that spot. And that opens up so much space for Gaudreau and uh, Calgary. I mean, Edmonton may have all the sexy draft picks and everything, but when you look at what Calgary's doing, I mean, they're they're not great this year. But with that top pair of Geo and Brody, and now you have Hamilton and Yoki Paka. Yoki Bach is a pretty good defensive prospect. Yeah, and not I th- great. I but. think we saw like the seeds of that last year when we, you know, when they traded Jerome McGinley, and it was, it was they were one of those teams where you said, okay, now they're starting to rebuild the right way. They've got some good pieces that are going to be good in a couple years, and they were good last year primarily on luck, and they got you know somehow to the second round, 
and we saw like okay they're they're peaking a little bit too soon because it's not their time yet which might be a bad thing considering that they still need to wait two or three more years because you know Goudreau, Monaghan, um, those those guys, Hamilton are going to get better in the next couple years and they can build around those but um, I didn't think that Calgary was going to be good this year, but hopefully in the next couple of years they're going to turn it around, especially in that division. Yeah, I, I pull for Calgary. <laughs> in that got, di- yeah, in that division. Uh, got a couple of greasy goals to push into overtime. Johnny Gaudreau was built to play in overtime. And the Predators were built to lose in overtime, so it's a great <laughs> match. Yeah, a great match for them. Now, what um, my sticking point from this game is, is that the next, uh, either the next one or two days, we get an article from the Predators website that was like straight oh, up. Oh my god! It was straight up Baghdad, Bob. There is no U.S. invasion right here. You know, it was, it speaking was, of Soviet propaganda, it was embarrassing. Like, guys, you just need to be happy with the one point. Yeah, it's like just imagine if they hadn't made it overtime in any of those games. Isn't it? Isn't it good that they were managed to make it into overtime anyways? It's like saying, you know what? You should be happy. You should. You have a hockey team. There are cities like Tulsa and and uh, and Akron that don't have hockey. Teams. Memphis doesn't have a hockey yeah. team. You, you want to be Memphis? You, maybe they don't have an NHL team. Well, and the the biggest point of that was like, oh, well, you know, if they hadn't gone on the overtime games and gotten these 12 points or 13 points and they wouldn't even be in a playoff spot right now. It's like, yeah, and if they had won half of them, they would be at the division lead right now. Convenient that you met left that out. Yeah. Um, I, I feel bad um, for the author of the piece because, yeah, like, I mean, we know the guy. He's a great guy. And I guarantee you it was, it was, it. hey, you need to write this right now to kind of, like, ease the tension <laughs> because so many people are talking about it. Are this. you suggesting that the Predators would ever go out and ask someone to write an article that is technically true but doesn't quite get it? Just to maintain a party line? I mean, is that something the Predators would actually do? At least the Predators are actually paying this guy to do that and not just depending on bloggers to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's (laughs) that's, uh, moving in the right direction, I guess. I mean, that's that's progress. (laughs) I I don't know. Yeah, it's... Much, much like making it an overtime is technically it's progress. progress. <laughs> you know, yeah, we should just be happy, you know, that uh, that they at least made it there. It's not you; it's the organization. That's all we're saying. And they uh, cap off the week by ending the but by ending the streak uh, at Vancouver. Ryan Miller. I mean, the, he didn't face much challenge as the first period, but the second, third period, he looked like Ryan Miller, the very he, good goalie. Yeah, I mean, he managed to play like for a second. It was like, oh, well, this is the guy they picked over Luongo. Okay. Which he hadn't really looked like since he arrived in Vancouver. Mm-mm. No, that was one of the best games we've, I've seen him from him in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, because uh, uh, on the other side, Pekka did a uh, pretty good job in that first period. Because uh, the team in front of him was just not doing a single freaking thing. It was like, what, 14-2 to two the shots were uh, in thir- favor of? 13-4 to four in the first period. Now, yeah. the second period, they outshot Vancouver 33-15. to 15. Yeah, that's crazy. The biggest gripe I had with it, and um, we can talk about Forsberg fight if you want to, but the penalty that Ribeiro caught in the uh, third period where Ham Hughes uh, lifted his stick and that caused Ribeiro's stick to high-stick someone else. Yeah, that's... That was a four-minute momentum killer. That um, yeah, that was rough. Yeah. I It's one of those things. I, tr- I try to always take a level-headed approach to these sort of things mm-hmm. because the game moves fast. The refs are going to make mistakes. Yeah. My opinion is that any, you know, NHL hockey has got to be one of the most difficult things to referee in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, with just with the pace, with the chaos, with all the sticks. So those things happen. But when it's four minutes, you better be damn sure mm-hmm. because that is a sign. That is a game-changing type penalty. 
Yeah, it neutralized the Predator's power play and then gave the Canucks a two-minute long power play. Yeah, and that is that is a really rough call. And if you're not sure, you've got four guys out there who are on your side. Yeah. Check with them. And I, I agree with you for the most part of what you're saying as far as giving the refs the benefit of the doubt. However, I, I think we all know that in... Uh, the NHL officiating is not necessarily the greatest because you can pick any single game uh, throughout a given night in the NHL and be like, well, there was this missed call or there was that missed call or this blatant call that uh, they looked at and then just completely messed up for whatever reason. Uh, but but I agree with you that, I mean, that that type of thing is, is uh, very hard to see. But yeah, giving a four-minute minor on that is not didn't rub me in the right yeah, way. I, I kind of half want them the, the NHL to replace the referees with like Starbucks coffee machines i mean those things have got to be like super smart with the amount of output they do they should be able to handle it i knew it was going to be our night when that ryan ellis gets that penalty in the first period oh when he was jousting with Hedrick sedin and yeah, when, nothing when, happened yeah when sedin you know just was like manhandling the guy then ellis just gets frustrated and punches <laughs> ellis two minutes <laughs> like all right fine <laughs> let me finish this drink so yeah, that was about it. Um, Colton Sisson scores late to make it close. Um, On a sexy, sexy pass from Roman Yossi. Does Roman do anything that's not sexy? Um, even even when he's sampling Subway sandwiches for a commercial bump, he's looking pretty. He's doing a pretty good job. It's true. Yeah, we can. Uh, we'll talk more about Sissons here in a second, but uh, we got to talk about Forsberg uh, trying to, to take up for his teammate. Didn't didn't go. Yeah, so it's well. nice to see, but please don't ever do if that again. I, there, it, it was entirely misplaced because you have to recognize there's there's two options. There's two outcomes here. One is that you actually you standing up for the team actually makes a big difference. Well, that's rarely ever the case. Yeah. It typically just elevates things. And when it's Forsberg, you're taking arguably your most important offensive piece and putting it in the box for a minimum of five minutes because since he's fully out of play, that's going to continue until the, the play stops. Mm-hmm. It could be any indeterminate amount of time. That is a really, really big deal, especially for a team like the Predators where he's their primary goal scorer. Yeah, and also because uh, they took a penalty not too long after that and it got the... Um flow of the game off because that happened within what the first two or three minutes of the game and then a penalty happened after that so automatically right in the first 10 minutes Laviolette isn't able to roll four lines and they're penalty killing and it just gets them all out of whack which is I think one of the primary reasons that they didn't have any legs going in the first period yeah I mean the, the Predators seem to have some kind of psychological issue with special teams a lot of times they just it, it's like they don't have like it happens and they just go ah something's changed I need to meditate on this and see if I'm ready to accept change into my life. <laughs> and and by the time they've decided whether or not they're going to accept change, it's either it's a couple PKs or a couple power plays down the road, and then they're going to start figuring it out. Oh no, no, not a terrible week. They went one, one, and one, which on the road that's acceptable, especially with a back to back. With a back to back, that's acceptable. I mean, I'm I'm a little disappointed. It's not at least two zero and one, or you know something. Uh, the, the way I look at it right now is that they're as long as they keep winning or getting points i mean they're not going to catch st louis chicago dallas and uh, we're not even sure they want it we want them to do that anyway exactly and i mean um, barring some catastrophic failure where they just decide not to play hockey anymore they're pretty solidly within that first wild card spot as long as everyone stays healthy i'm good yeah i mean some models have them up up to like a 99.8 percent chance of making the playoffs um i don't know how valid those models are but you know there's some models are projecting them at you know really strong strong confidence of yeah. Being in, and that's yeah. what matters. Let's look at the uh, rest of the team here. We, do we have any update on Gostad's status? 
don't think it was an upper body injury, wasn't it? It was an upper body, yeah. I don't know if it happened in the fight or I don't know if it what the case was. But regardless, the fourth line with Colin Wilson, which is an, another story, Colton Sissons, Austin Watson, looking much, much better. Uh, Colin Wilson, I mean, he looks to be moved. Again, Colton Sissons is very much like a Sean Monaghan type, like a control group kind of player on that line where Wilson's able to maybe have a little bit more space that he didn't have with the Fisher line. Is there something else going on here, or is it just maybe Wilson finally getting that fire lit underneath him that uh, he needed for a while? I think it might be a little bit of both. As I talked about at the onset of the program, he's got you know he's got a defined role now, whereas before he was you know supposed to be one of the guys that uh, the team leaned on, but not the guy since you have like Neil and Ribeiro and uh, Smith, Johansson, like all those people that, and then he kind of like get lost in the shuffle. Now that he's on the lower end. He can concentrate on his game and play a little bit harder. And I think right before the first goal was scored in the Vancouver game, the fourth line had like an excellent shift where they were cycling the puck. They were in the zone for about a minute or so. And that was the only good bit of offense that the Predators had in that entire period. And then they gave it the goal and it was all downhill from there. Sorry, I'm just, I'm thinking about Colin Wilson. What, what are you thinking about with Colin Wilson? I mean, it stood out. Against Vancouver, more than anything, because I, I think he's been more impactful in his in the role they put him put him in. But he's just such a weird player to figure out because you know just watching him, he had some really clever, thoughtful plays, especially in the neutral zone against Vancouver that generated scoring opportunities. But then he would go and do and just do something like he tried to score and it'd just be like the puck was was like made out of snow and just dissolves on his stick and doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> And so I just, I just watch him all the time make these great passes. He's really in, in, insightful moves, and it's always from a you know a position either coming into the neutral, all these different areas. And I just like what is his deal? And then like, right now I was thinking on it more, and it occurred to me he's sort of like, and I'm going to go back to soccer because this, this makes a really good thing. He's sort of like a number eight. Uh, a number eight is is a deep line playmaking midfielder. These are guys um, I think. Probably the one that may be best known is like an Andre Pirlo or um, even maybe uh, how Michael Bradley prefers to play if you're morphing with the U.S. men's team. Like a, like a Patrick Vieira for those old-school Arsenal folks, or like a Michael Carrick or... Yeah, some guy who's going to sit deeper and make plays. They don't score a lot of goals. What they do is they set up plays. They have good vision. They make they make connection passes you would not expect someone else to make. Uh and and Luka Modric, if you're a Spurs fan, who's or Real fan at this point, um, and but they don't score a ton of goals. They just get the puck in, into really cool places in ways you wouldn't expect. And Wilson does that an awful lot, but he's either either whoever he gets to doesn't finish it, or they're not expecting it, or some combination. I just Wilson is a puzzle, and I don't think anyone has figured it out. I, I don't know what his role is in, in the NHL, and I just cannot figure it I, out. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to figure it out, because, I mean, last season, we even when he had that 2020 season, we all said, okay, but, and there was you know, the asterisk, <laughs> asterisk over his, like, you know, he's going to get paid, is maybe he finally figures it around, like, this is probably, but all those qualifiers, like, maybe, probably, yeah. but... Hopefully, like and and we see that that was uh, completely called for because of the season that he's having right now. And I don't know what it is. If it's just one of those things where he's a tweener and just can't get it going in the NHL. If he just has some good amounts of luck for a little bit and then is actually a bad hockey player. I I don't think that's the case, but I don't know. He he shows so much skill. I look at him and I think I bet if you put Carl Wilson into Sweden, Finland, Switzerland. I think he'd be entirely dominant. 
What about like another uh, hockey team, like NHL? No, team? no, no. no. I, I don't think I don't think it's I think it's not an NHL thing. I think it's I just think the way he sees the ice and the plays he tries to make would be far more punishing in Europe than they would be in, in North America. I think it's an ice size issue, maybe. It, it, well, I just I think the ice size would help because his vision and his ability to move the puck around would become an asset. And also because the players are more looking for that. They're not looking for contact and they're looking for physicality. They're looking for creative plays and they're looking for interesting passing and they're looking for the, the puck coming off the wall out of the neutral zone that, that the player intentionally banked to get around. The, I mean, watching that, if you don't remember that sequence, is Colin Wilson uh, not passing to himself because you see sometimes guys passing to themselves, puts it off the wall into the zone, uh, into the attacking zone. And I can't remember who was in the line with him. It was probably like assistance Watson, or, Salomon, yeah. or Watson or somebody is coming in, you know, is there, is able to collect the puck. But nothing really comes of it, but it was just this really creative play. And then Wilson was immediately spinning and ready to go. Things like that are a lot easier to do when you're on, when you're in Europe. And I just, I'd love to see him spend a season overseas just to see what he could do. Because I think we'd be surprised. Maybe next lockout. No, <laughs> next lockout, yeah. Maybe next lockout. I don't know. I think by the time we reach the next lockout, I don't think Wilson will be in the league anymore. Mm. Oof. Uh, okay, anything else really on? Uh, Salamaki moved up to the third line with Fisher and Arvidsson. Arvidsson's had some good games. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I think it's, that line's clicking really well. So I, I ran the Wowies real quick, and it's a very, very small sample size, like 25 minutes of the three of them playing together. Uh, but they're at a 59% uh, shot attempts, uh, which is great. And I think that shows on the ice as well. And there, there's just something about those those three players that just work really well together, I think. Arvis is still. He needs to spend an off season up in Alaska shooting pucks at tin cans and or something. Uh, <laughs> Victor shot on goal. Arvis. I mean, <laughs> like it's well. He he he's, he he gets his shots on goal. Like when he shoots, it goes on net. But the goaltender always stop. He just they just reach out and grab it, or they just block it away, or something. His shot is super accurate, but it sucks. It's like eighty miles an hour. Just I mean, it just sort of flips over, and they just they just grab it. So he just needs to spend a summer with some shooting whisperer, some guy who can help him with his technique or his shooting strength or something. Because if he had a remotely frightening shot, he would be he'd probably have. 10, 12 goals by now. Yeah, and that's because that's a, it's a volume thing. Like That's exactly why Alex Ovechkin can score so many goals is because he's pumping so many shots to the net and they're just so hard and yeah, they're so yeah. deadly. They're so accurate. Um, obviously, Arvidsson's not going to be up to that level, but if you look at his uh, shots per 60, he's far and away leading the team. I think he's at like... Eleven and a half, whereas and the next it, score is like on nine. Yeah, and doing on it net. on a line with Mike Fisher, which isn't typically a great shot generating line. That's yeah, a good thing. So I mean, if he can, uh, you know, get some better shots to raise that shooting percentage, he could easily be a twenty goal scorer. Really but he needs a better shot. If nothing else, I mean, if we get fifteen from Arvidsson, that's found that's, money. Uh, on, well, and we've we've been uh, lamenting the fact that tertiary scoring hasn't been a thing over the past couple of years. And we were talking about tertiary scoring yeah. now. Uh, but I mean, Fisher had two goals this week. I mean, Arvidsson looked really good, and Salamaki looked uh, really well as well. Um, I mean, if that line can generate what they're doing right now, I think that that's a good uh, omen for the playoffs and beyond. I'll leave that right into some Twitter questions um, because Lincoln Vamos writes in about Arvidsson directly. Arvidsson's a smaller guy who isn't afraid to isn't afraid to grind. Uh, should we be concerned with his longevity as far as injuries go? Does he have an injury history? 
Mm, I don't know. Think but so. typically with these uh, these undersized Swedish guys, I mean, Linus Klaassen got lit up um, a couple times in the AHL, and now he well, he yeah, well, quickly. you know, if we if we if we borrow Pete or Pete Weber's new favorite nickname, I mean, crazy legs. It, yeah, I mean, that guy had crazy legs. I for some reason because it's me, I blanked on the name for no apparent reason. Um, uh, Klaassen, yeah, because yeah. he just you know you knew he was going to shoot because his legs just went just. Like turn into V's, giant V's, and he shoot the puck every single time. That's why he got lit up because you knew exactly what he was doing, and he couldn't move because he was stabilizing himself. He always stared down at the puck too. That was his problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had a lot of problems. Um, as far as longevity goes, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be a uh, a thing to worry about. I mean, m- when I think of longevity, I think of like the guys like Mike Fisher who play a physical game like night after night after night after night, and it takes a toll on it. Uh, but, I mean, there are some concerns there because you look at someone like Tyler Johnson earlier this year who got injured and missed a couple games. He's a little bit of a smaller player. I don't remember how much of, like, you know, getting hit or uh, being physical had to do with that. Um, but I don't think it's something huge to worry about. Like, obviously, if he gets lit up in the neutral zone or something like that, he's probably more prone to be missing some time than anyone else. But he also uh, doesn't play a game that really leads to that a whole lot. Anything you want to add on that one? No. Okay. Uh, no, that's why I led with that's why I led with my answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a fun one here. Uh, Preds angry fan writes in Preds Facebook groups are routinely crapped on for being bad slash dumb fans. Is this because most are recent football converts and don't get hockey? No, that's that's Facebook. Okay, let's establish one thing. All hockey fans are dumb. That's just the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm a hockey fan. I'm dumb. John's a hockey fan. He's dumb. Dan's a hockey fan. He, we're all dumb. We're all dumb. <laughs> so it's not just... Fa- I mean, Facebook's, granted, is a little bit worse. Is a lot worse. But we're all dumb. Because we're hockey fans. Yeah, I think if you look at any team's Facebook, whether it's the Predators, whether it's the Dallas Mavericks, whether it's the uh, San Francisco 49ers, like anyone, you're going to have just this very sour taste of idiots who go on there and spout off whatever yeah, it is that they're doing. Everyone's on Facebook. And so that means that the people who are going to take the time to go on and post very angry things are going to be the worst of everyone. So, yeah, I just called a chunk of people who are Pride's fans the worst of everyone. So there we go. Mm. He does write in also a second question here. Uh, we already know the system's greater than Gostad. I, I see you play with your third one. We're going to leave that one off. Uh, with so many rookies playing now, will we see much or any use of any black aces early in the playoffs? Well, I, Assuming I, they get that far. I, I think um, in, in some cases it'll be to keep up players that are already with the team as other guys have to come off of long-term injury um, and come off the IR. So at that point, you know, let's say Gostad comes – comes back well now you can use Sissons as like a black ace quote unquote um which he may go back to Milwaukee if the, if the admirals make the go that far but well you'd re- I think the team's gonna keep if if he's gonna benefit the playoff run yeah true. granted yeah. granted we're talking about NHL hockey which means they'll pick Gostad over Sissons for reasons which are inis- inexplicable yeah I mean I, I can see some uh some guys getting brought up uh, assuming that the Predators make like the second round third round something like that um but, I mean, the point of the Black Aces is just to have them with the team and practicing and get the experience and uh, the camaraderie and the atmosphere of a working playoff team. It's not necessarily to 
fill in on the ice unless there's yeah. absolute because I mean there are going to be people that are going to fill in on the ice if something happens regardless and then once you start getting the people that are brought up as you know the black aces their chances of getting into the game during a playoffs is very slim like a Doherty or a Kirkland it'll be good for them to be around the team so that's yeah. that's a prime example there John Smith writes in, uh, could David Poyle look at bringing in an NCAA D-man or a college free agent to uh, help out the prospect pool on the blue line? Uh, that's, I mean, that's tricky. He's tried it before, but the, he nearly got, uh, he tried, he got pretty close with DeKaiser, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, any of the guys that you would want to step and have immediate impact, you know, their seasons may not be over until the very end of March. I mean, the guys who you really, really want to, want to try to grab and, Beyond that, a lot of, some of those guys are already beholden to teams. So they're sort of in the same instance that VZ's in. Yeah, um, and although I th- think the question might be more geared towards like future, as in as opposed to like stepping up now. I, I think I don't know if this is right or not. Yeah, but you're like, about the prospect pool. Because uh, I mean, in that case, uh, I mean, sure, I don't know what the Predators are having the eye on, and I, I mean, for the life of me, I wouldn't be able to name you a couple of D, you know, NCAA UFA. Uh, D prospects. Um, Just go but, with some, like Blaine something or other. Yeah, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Connor. I mean, there's I mean, there's no harm in doing Tanner. that. To I mean, especially because the uh, Preds D pipeline right now is a uh, a little bit wonky once you get out out of Nashville. Yeah, I, mean, I think they're okay for uh, the time being because they have their top four solidified for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and you can. The bottom line pairing that's kind of interchangeable. I mean, they it, like that's but, where you can go to free agency. Yeah, you have Potato, you have Granberg, you have Jackman. They're good for at least two more years. Uh, let's see. Preds to the cap. Ken writes in, uh, what about the Predators play most excites you about their chances in the playoffs and most worries you? Worrisome be the top line kind of just disappearing for a good while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked like they were going to come back for a bit after that uh, Colorado game. And then we have, we, and you would have thought that the last three games would have been prime opportunity for them to break out and start scoring and maybe get their confidence back. But we haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the thing that gets me most excited is probably the the depth of the team. Um, if if you look at it just a pure potential, like the potential of each each line and the players on it, that's really exciting. Uh, I think they're going to be scarier next season, but I think it, it's really exciting to watch. And then what worries me is, uh, I think inconsistent effort is, and this is such a stereotypical basic thing to say, but seeing them show up for most of the 60 minutes. Not, I mean, it's going to be hard. It's hard to put in 60 minutes every single night, but 50 minutes, 55, whatever, scenic consistent ever. Because th- this week is is was an issue. I think we saw at least one period where they would take off a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not uncommon. Uh, but granted, I really don't think it's that uncommon for a lot of hockey teams in the NHL. Especially now. And I, I was talking to someone about this in the comment section earlier. Um, we're at the point now where they're very much almost solidified into that wild card spot and no matter you know they can be bad for a little bit they can be good for a little bit and that's not going to move the needle too much in their positioning so now they're just kind of waiting for that math to clinch them in a playoff spot um, and they're playing some teams that either don't have anything to play for you know want to play for pride or whatever so these are the type of games that are going to be harder to wake up for and that are going to be a slog for them to get through just because they know okay we are pretty much in a playoff spot other than the fact that it's not mathematically done yet so we just have to keep doing what we're doing and then we can ramp it up later Mm -hmm. Um, but to answer the question I would say that my most worrisome thing would probably be Pecorine just because even though he's been playing a lot better lately he's been going up and down all season where he's played really good for a while and then he's played terrible and then he's 
gotten back up to average, and then he's not been so average, and then he's, now he's back on that spot where he's playing really well. I, I would argue that if you look at his history, that's not that uncommon. I think this year it's been more of a downswing than we're used to, so it's so his his kind of troughs, even if they're smaller troughs, are less um, less attention's put on them. But I don't think it's that different than what we normally see. Well, he did it last year, where after that injury, he just was not good, and then got played outplayed by Scott Darling in the uh, Chicago series. Yeah, and again, I don't I don't think that's too. I, I think objectively, I don't think it's too out of character for where he actually performs. The difference is, is that we're not used to seeing it to start the year. We're used to seeing it kind of as like the middle of the year lull. Right. Which yeah. usually, remember when uh, he used to change his mask right in the middle of the year and people always blame his Goldie mask? He did that last year too. Yeah, he did that yeah. every year. And he would switch back and yeah, all those things. And it, But the thing it would be, he'd switch back after he would be given like a few games rest and then he'd switch back to the old mask and he would work and like, oh, it's the old mask. I'm like, maybe he just needed to not play <laughs> so many games. All right, anything else for the this week before we uh, hit our break? I don't think so. Oh, I'm looking forward to a more exciting week. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, um, this is the Predcast brought to you by Lions Own Internet Marketing Solutions on thefortcheck.com. We'll see you after the break. These days, you need a partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lions Zone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Welcome back in. We're going to get into some of your questions from the uh, comments section. Got a lot of good ones in there today. Start off with uh, B. Show 5 writes in, Given the Preds' current roster, you got Rene in his mid-30s, you got Weber in his early 30s, uh, Fish and Ribeiro are signed through next uh, season. How long is the Preds' current uh, cup window? Uh, yeah, trying to th- think back. I, I, did I, I We've touched on this yeah, before. Yeah, we touched on this a little bit. I, I really, I genuinely believe that the Predators aren't in a window right now. Uh you know, R- Rene is a concern, so I think that's a good call out. But I, I also think that there's a couple guys. I mean, between Mazanik and and Saros, that one of those guys can step up and be the next guy. Uh, I've seen enough from them that I I feel comfortable saying that. Uh, Weber doesn't concern me as much. I think he's going to be fine for longer than people think, uh, and he's going to be able to change his game. He'll be able to adapt. Uh, you know, you wouldn't be a captain in the NHL if you couldn't, and considered an elite player if you couldn't figure out how to adapt. Uh, and then a lot of the other key pieces are pretty young. Uh, oddly enough, the piece I'm most worried about replacing is Mike Fisher and what he brings to the team. That's the only piece that really concerns me because I don't know where you find a guy who can step in that kind of role, who plays that kind of game that effectively. Uh, you know, Mike Fisher isn't isn't noted for being, you know, an elite player, but 
he brings something consistent every game. He's done it for a long time, which is a huge achievement. So that's so it, so it's I don't think there's a window, but I think the key piece is oddly enough. Mike Fisher and trying to figure out how to replace him. That's a good... I mean, you brought up a really good point that when's the last time you saw Mike Fisher have a very bad game? I really can't think of one. I mean, he was... Uh, he had some invisible games earlier on in the season, yeah, but he, not anything like, oh my God, like Mike Fisher, get him off the team right now. The def- the defensive effort's always there. It's not always, not always effective, but the effort is always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Um, so basically my answer is copied and paste from what Link said, uh, but I'll kind of just end with... Do not think of it as when Shea Weber and uh, Pecorine are a couple years older from where they are right now, that that's, that's it. Because Nashville has done a good job of building some pieces and getting some draft picks that could uh, take their place. Yeah, they've they've got the uh, the top end talent finally in the play in the uh, in the system with guys like Fiala, Kamenev, and hopefully Vizi. And you also have your B grade talent as well to fill in your depth role players. And you have, you know, your defense locked up for a long time with or you know with or without Weber in his prime. So, what five, six, seven years? Yeah, I, that's I, fair. Yeah, I think calling that a window is not what people t- typically refer to a window. They usually use window when they're like two, three, two, three two or three years left. Yeah. So it, it's not really a window. It's kind of more of like a uh, like a set of French doors, maybe. <laughs> kind of easy to kick in. <laughs> uh, he also writes in a follow up: If you could swap a player for player straight up, who would you want in gold? And he says he wants to exclude like your Stamkos, Ovechkin, Crosby, Malkin, Carlson, Dowdy, all the fun players. So, so wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm confused by this question now. Yeah, me too on this one. Um, wait, so basically he wants you to switch a player straight up. But, but nothing, no one elite. Yeah. That's that's actually a good qualifier. I, well, um... Yeah, okay, so I, not... Let me, can, I, can I see if you'd let me get away with something? Sure. Uh, I would maybe... Maybe... Mm, I don't know if I can... Oh, no, none of the players I want to swap straight up would work. I mean, Bergeron's like the only guy I really covet. Well, but I think he'd be. I think frankly, he would fall under the umbrella. Like, I'm just trying to think of who in the Predators I would swim straight up for, like Patrick Sharp, Hmm. Colin Wilson. But, but yeah, but you it has to be somewhat equivalent. Like, oh, this guy scores 20 goals. This guy has decent hair. Patrick Sharp has great hair too. You can't doesn't work. If, it's we, not if, we, if this question was asked at the beginning of the season, we could have swapped Colin Wilson for Alex Galchenyuk and could have been fine, probably. Yeah, I, and I now can see like that. you know, nope, you're not touching Galchenyuk. Nope, 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 nope. Not yeah, like a one for one trade. Like any player, I think we could get. Um, I mean, what would it, who who what would it take like a one to one trade for like Radom Hrabata, who you, I know John, you're a huge fan of. Yeah, one to one trade for Radom Hrabata. Is that, like, is that like a Craig Smith type thing? Uh, you know what? Given well, on, on the qualifier with that is, I think that. Uh, over the course of their career, I think that Redeem Verbata is probably a better player than Craig Smith is, but, you know, Verbata's 34 years old, and I don't think I would trade that for Craig Smith. Um, I wonder if there's someone that you could even do, like, younger, like a Tyler Toffoli or something like that. Hmm. Uh, if, like, maybe I would do, like, a Craig Smith for Tyler Toffoli. I think I'd probably do that in an instant. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys are overlooking the obvious one that's, um, you know, Mike Ribeiro for Joe Thornton. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but you said no elite, elite players. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was the, that was first the first bout Hall of Famer, Joe Thornton. <laughs> that was a rub there. Yeah, and I'm not joking. Yeah, Joe Thornton is. He should, a, be, he should be pre. Treasure. He should like the second he retires, you'll be like, yeah, go ahead and kinda like. Like when Moses died, in. Moses went straight to heaven. Kind of <laughs> like when Joe Thornton retires, he goes straight in the they, Hall. They're of just family. gonna give him a key to the building and just let him go, like let, give him an apartment inside if he ever wants to stay. Just gotta shave that beard, man. It looks it looks bad. 
All right, Cesar writes in, as the Admirals' regular season ends a week after the Preds, what movement do you see happening between the clubs for the Stanley Cup playoffs? Could you you read that again? I'm sorry. As the Admirals' regular season ends a week after the Predators, Mm. what movement do you see happening between the clubs for the Stanley Cup playoffs? Is it possible that... um, I mean, you don't want to sabotage the Admirals' playoffs, but at the same time, like, does it make sense for them to bring up like, I a, do. like a Fiala? Or well, but a, you want Fiala to play. Like yeah. a, a black ace is a player that you want to get experience, but is not someone you, you think needs to be getting game time. Yeah. So, and basically, it, like as long as uh, there are spots for them down there and there's nothing up uh, at the big club, Fiala's not going to well, get come up. You know, I, I think a player, a player you could see as a black ace, someone who may need special attention, who is not hitting potential, is not going to be with the Admirals. A guy like Diaby, who a lot of players put stock in. We were talking a little bit about him before. Uh, even was maybe before the, even the show. Yeah, it was yeah. right before yeah. the show. Uh, you, you bring him up and let him spend time with the team. Figure out if there's something going on. Is, is it you know something he's not seeing the ice well, or is it a mental thing? You know what the deal is. You know maybe just spending some more time with somebody in a really kind of more advanced environment. And plus, it'd be great to practice against a guy like that because he's about the size of a mobile home. He's huge. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be playing against like a, a Blues or a Kings or a Ducks in the playoffs. That's a good. It's a good sparring partner. Uh, and you know what? I guess this also depends on uh, you know VZ Watch 2016 because I think we're all in agreement that if he he gets down here, then probably Salamaki is going to be the one to get sent down to uh, uh, to Milwaukee, which I think that they could really use him, and that would that would uh, help their chances a little bit. But at the same time, regardless of whether he signs or not, you want the best predators roster on the ice regardless of what repercussions that has in milwaukee because the stanley yes. cup is more important than the calder cup absolutely i mean I'm, i care about the admirals enough to like to care what they're doing but i really don't look at the goal scoring totals and as long as you know the, the admirals aren't allowing six or something a night and the goals are looking okay uh let's see Musa Monster writes in, uh, just how good is Colton Sissons? And we can send Gostad to Milwaukee. Actually, we're going to touch on that after this segment. I just wanted to let you know we, we're going to take care of that one. Thanks for playing. Writes in, can rookies get it done in the playoffs? Will six, possibly seven rookies on the team be a help with their younger legs or a handicap due to less experience? I'll be honest. I don't buy into the whole Stanley Cup experience narrative. Because everyone's like, oh, you need guys with Stanley Cup. Well, all of these kids have played tournaments their entire life, and these have all been at high pressure, high pressure moments. I might, I might say that the Stanley Cup playoffs are a little bit different of a high pressure moment than like World Championships and you know college tourneys or something like that. Like to like for me personally, I agree with you most of the way. Like I don't think it's that big of a deal uh, because like we saw like Seth Jones had no Stanley Cup playoff experience last year, and he had. One of the best playoffs that you could pro- probably think about him last last year. But if you were to say, okay, so you've got one of Grandberg, Batetto, or Jackman in the playoff roster, you give me Jackman every single time. Well, I would agree with you in in, in that I happen to think Batetto is is substantially worse of a hockey player than Bear Jackman, and mm-hmm. I think Grandberg is a, kind of an, a wild card unknown to me still. I've been noticing. That I haven't been noticing him a lot over yeah. the past couple games. So uh, to the extent that I, I think, you know, you look at Jones, who's a who's future elite defenseman. You look at Potato, who's future, who knows where he's going to be in two years. And I think that's the delineator. Yeah. Um, I and mean, if you bring in a rookie who is really talented and very, very good, like, 
I couldn't imagine rookie Tarasenko choking in the playoffs and be like, oh, well, the Blues lost because Tarasenko, Tarasenko is a rookie. Yeah, yeah, it's like he's a machine. Yeah. He just, I mean, it, the whole thing just strikes me as being a narrative. Um, so I, I don't I don't really put a lot of stock. And I think if the rookies are performing at a high level and they're playing well and they're playing responsibly, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah. 2009, Chicago Blackhawks went all the way to the conference finals. That was a very young team. Very young team. Like, we're talking... 19-year-old, yeah, 20-year-old Taves? Something yeah, like that? exactly. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm okay with... Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that the Predators are going to go that far, but you know what? Uh, dumber things have happened in the NHL. And how surprising is, is um, the Jonathan Taves Twitter account? What do you mean? Have you guys f- you f- I've seen... I have com- not. It's like, it's actually, like, not stupid jokes. It's not, like, super corporate. It's actually just... Good. Just a dude being a dude. Yeah, I mean, he actually—I think he actually called out people over global warming, hmm. being like, "You need to like face the like." No one—I don't think anyone expected Jonathan Taze to come out and be like, "Guys, we need to really talk about global warming." And, and everyone's just, <laughs> everyone's following him is like, "What's happening?" <laughs> a hockey player talking about global warming on Twitter Stick and two sports, and it's Jonathan Taze. <laughs> yeah. He is very serious. He yeah, but it's just like it's, it, you don't see that from hockey players, especially like elite level hockey players, mm-hmm. pretty often. Um, so it's actually really, it's just kind of cool. Hmm. And it actually makes me somewhat like him, although he's obviously shows a lot of support for Patrick Kane, which is, eh. yeah, we kind of get off the bus on that station. I'm not getting, I'm, I'm, I'm giving the bus the fingers we're going by and we can move to the next topic. Nice. The bus? No, I'm on the bus. Who, who, I don't know. Whichever thing is the Patrick <laughs> Kane thing, I'm giving the finger wherever it's going and wherever I am in relation to it. Whether I'm the bus or the stop, either way. Yeah, either way. <laughs> On that note, uh, speaking of giving the finger, uh, Dennis Weidman's suspension got reduced to uh, 10 games, which he's already served 19 games of it. So essentially this is just uh, the NHL giving back half of the money. Um, it's I kind of a, just a weird, it weird is, situation. It is weird because, I mean, was there a note from the arbiter, the neutral arbiter, to say why he made the decision he did? Or did it have enough detail to actually add anything to the I conversation? I don't remember seeing anything. Because I don't remember either. So it might be like a behind-the-closed-doors thing. and. I find the whole thing to be very strange and uh, more than a little confusing. And obviously, the league's probably upset, and the referees are certainly upset because they need things to be upset about because the referees. Uh, and you know, I, I'm confused. Like, I don't know what Wyman's intentions were, and the text message is a little suspect. But at the same time, he's a hockey player and a jock, and that might just be normal things. We don't know. I just find the whole thing to be rather silly. I'm glad that it's over. Yeah, I'm just glad. It's, you know, I'm glad we can go back to talking about Brian Burke's uh, Brian Burke's uh, scarf and and not him saying that everything is an atrocity. <laughs> uh, the Blues are going to get in at uh, next year's Winter Classic at Bush Stadium. Uh, going to be playing at Guess Who Chicago. Uh, it's going to be more outdoor games for next year, including Winnipeg hosting the uh, the Heritage Classic. But because it's so cold in Winnipeg, we're actually going to have the game in October. Well, there's your novelty right there. Yeah, I, I guess. Didn't they play it when... I mean, how cold are we talking about? Like negative 20, negative 30? Because they played a game in Edmonton. The first Heritage Classic was like 10 below zero. Right. I think last year, I think the uh, a couple years ago, they had the Grey Cup uh, finals in Saskatchewan, and it was so cold in February that the footballs were breaking. What? They <laughs> <laughs> were talking like just the, like one of the most miserable atmosphere or miserable... Um, it wasn't February. It was uh, some other time of the year because who schedule a football league in February in Canada. But it was so cold that footballs were actually FIFA breaking. Would. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. <laughs> Depending on how nice the venues were promised and if they were all within like a half an hour drive of each other and all built by slave labor from Nepal. Um, 
that's really about it with the NHL. Kind of a quiet week on the ranch. Um, anything stick out for you across the league or? No, not really. You're right. It's been a quiet week. Um, surprising number of Flyers victories. Uh, didn't expect that. This team might actually make the playoffs, which would be weird. It would be. It would be, If they do so, it'll likely be at the expense of the Detroit Red Wings, too. Well, also the Penguins are managing to die slowly. And I mean that in the sense that they're all hurt. Well, well it's, it's funny because, like, uh, what, two weeks ago? Everyone was like, man, look out for those Penguins. Like, they're going to be an upset potential. And then... Now all of a sudden, like Malkin's out for eight weeks, you know everyone's just like shattering into pieces as they're on the ice. And, and countdown to next Crosby concussion is live. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the Hurricanes have kind of dropped back a little bit. They went four four and two. The Flyers seven two and one. Uh, Pittsburgh six four and zero, oh, and Detroit five three and two over their last ten. So yeah, Pittsburgh or Philadelphia is making up ground on Pittsburgh. Uh, Ghost Bear is coming. Yeah, looking at the Atlantic though, you've got eighty five and eighty five for both the uh for both the Panthers and the Lightning and the Bruins have now taken a hold of that division. Yeah, Bruins won some important games this week. I know that they uh had that O T winner against the uh the Panthers. I really want one of the Florida teams to win this division. That way so we have a possible all Florida second round. That's just a deep, dark desire of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Although I mean I get it because, you know, one of those teams would go on to the, the conference final. But at the same time, if they're going to – if it's like a possible second-round matchup versus a actual going-to-happen first-round matchup against the two Florida teams, I think that would be pretty cool too. Either one. I just want to see, you know, uh, uh, both the Florida teams get in and get in comfortably. But it's, there's a deep, you know, like a dark section of my heart that would probably grow to like two-thirds of my heart if knowing that the uh, – Panthers of the Lightning could take out both Boston and Detroit or Pittsburgh. And so the the hockey elitia would have to cover South Florida. That well, would just make my heart shine. So, I mean, okay, so I, I'm trying to piece together. So the Atlantic, Detroit plays in, in the um, Atlantic. In the Atlantic. Right. So that's, that's the only real threat. Basically, Tampa. Yeah, basically, well, whoever gets in that last wild card spot is playing the Capitals. So if the Detroit stay where they are and they say they're they're playing the Capitals, if the Flyers leapfrog over Detroit and get in, they're going to play the Capitals. Um, As of right now, Pittsburgh would play the Atlantic Division leader, which right now would be Boston. mm -hmm. But Boston's, you know, riding high right now. They've got a uh, Florida has two games in hand over the Bruins, only back by one point by the time of this recording. So looking at, yeah, we'll, we'll table that one for right now. The Central Division. Uh, everyone's played 70 games, uh, the top three, except for Chicago. Chicago's played 69, as has Nashville. Uh, 91 points for both the Stars and the Blues, 88 for Chicago. So Chicago's have been, only went 5-4-1 over the last 10. The, Blue, or the uh, Blues 7-3, and three. the Stars 4-3-3. Three and three. So the Blues right now are winners of six straight and uh, charging up the standings since getting their teeth kicked in at Nashville a while ago. Yeah, I mean, and those games have not been against bad teams either. No. They beat Dallas last night five to four in Anaheim overtime. before that. Yeah, that's pretty impressive for Dallas. Mm-hmm. And also they beat Chicago. Uh, Chicago beat Dallas. Uh, pardon, Dallas beat Chicago in the eleventh. So yeah. they'll always find a way to, to to. They'll always find a way to find more goals. The so looking at all three of these teams here, um, uh, do you have I guess have like a division favorite among them? Because right now it's. It's splitting hairs. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I still think that Dallas is probably the likely one just because of their scoring prowess. Um, but, I mean, 
I, I really don't think that the division championship is going to mean that much in the central division come the playoff time because it, it's going to be a banner. It's going to be great. It's going to be a nice thing to put on the resume. But then the gauntlet starts when the playoffs start, and that's it's not going to matter whether someone's first in the division or fifth in the division, whatever it is. you're playing Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> also, both L.A. And, uh, and Chicago have demonstrated it doesn't matter where you see them. Exactly. So they're, they're built for, to be playoff machines. Also, quick comment. Man, I don't like the font in the new NHL website. No, it's, it's not so great. bad. It's it it feels so like pseudo typewriter, and it bo- it bugs me. Yeah, it's a little too a little too minimalist for my liking. It's not even minimalist; it just looks like cheap typewriter text. So, Cyan of Flame asked a really good Twitter question that um, I was already building a segment on this, but I kind of wanted to feature his question on here because it's really good. Um, do you think a guy like Kamenev could step into the Fisher Ribs role? in a 2C eventually. And we've talked about this before, how that's kind of his, what we're targeting to be is kind of that eventual number 2C. And then Colton Sissons gets called up and has the week that he's having beside a pretty talented player in Colin Wilson. In two years from now, Nashville's going to need a number 2 and a number 3 center with the retirements and the departures of Mike and Mike. You've got uh, Sissons, who's probably going to be taking on the number 4 role next year. Um, You've got other needs and wants as well. Colton Sissons, is he... um, I mean, we're looking at the number two and number three spots over there, just kind of as a as a uh, long term goal. If Sissons is gonna potentially fill the number three spot, that's awesome. Yeah, but, and I think that he'd be good at doing it if he continues his development because what we've seen at—I mean, we've never seen him in a very long stretch of time. It's what seven, fourteen games or seventeen games—the longest stretch that he's ever played up there. And we're, yeah, is it safe to say that Colin Wilson's probably the most NHL talented player he's ever played beside? Absolutely. That's pretty impressive for for him to be yeah. for him to go this long. Poor kid. Poor kid. Yeah, uh, backup goaltender position is going to be open as well, assuming that Hutton isn't resigned. So you're going to have uh, that coming up from Milwaukee next year. So I said a fantasy where they they announce that that Hutton is going to take Stu's place in uh, color. And I'd just be like Chris Mason. Hutton goes to radio. Chris Mason goes to TV. I I stated exactly my preference. Okay. Um, <laughs> now you may you have a much more practical, realistic view. My my whole goal is just to find a way to get Stu back in a courtroom or a business uh, office where he does spell check or whatever it is legal, you know, business legal guys do. Um, at my work, they do spell check. Um, it's kind of sad. Uh, and just anybody, anybody. I don't have a problem with Willie. Willie is fine. Willie has Willie has I think turned a corner. He yes, is he has. His improving his Stu, goals, his goal scores, and his uh, like enunciation and everything like that has gotten so much better. Because at the beginning of the season, he was like Fisher scores. All right, cool. Now he's like actually getting excited. When he uh, there was the the empty net goal against Colorado. Yeah. I, that's why I just had a nice little fist pump on my couch yeah. when he said that. That was yeah. intense. I, I think Willie gets the job done. It's Stu who. If I have to hear him say recoil to mean reload or reset Activates one more time. in and around, stiff ride, oh area. daddy, straight I mean, line player. I, I know Doc Emmerich has pioneered the whole say random crap and everyone loves it style. Waffle board it away. <laughs> oh, if I have to, every time I hear someone who's not Doc say knife, I'm like, you learned it from him. And that puck is shunted into the into the corner. I mean, works it around the corner. None of those words mean what he thinks they mean. But re, the recoil thing kills me because he, he even he even enunciates it as recoil. He makes you makes you hear the difference between re and coil. To use a hyphenated word that's not a real word, just just say reset or reload or something. Recalibrate. Don't, no, anything that's not the wrong word that doesn't mean what you're <laughs> saying. 
So with all that said, we're going to get a little bit deeper into the uh, into the assistance debate maybe a little bit later on. But What debate is that? They have a lot of, um, you'll see. We love him. You'll see. <laughs> that's not up for debate. That's not up for debate. I mean, it, actually, if you ever, if you actually like, go through like the post of the Predcast, they always say on here the very last bullet point is with the usual praise of Austin Watson, Colton Sissons. I do what, read those, notes. which is which is funny because sometimes like not all of those players get praised. That's the joke. Yeah, <laughs> it's like when I, I get jokes. It's like when I tweet tweet Craig Smith scores when he wants. He doesn't always score when he wants. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If any player can say that, <laughs> so the uh, looking at the Predators prospect pool, you have guys that um, I'm. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. There's a handful of guys that I do not see them playing in the NHL right now, as is, unless they turn into the Incredible Hulk like Weber did when you know when he was younger. Pona Soberg, yep, probably yep. not making the NHL. Definitely nope. not. Garrett Noonan, who's already in his uh, getting towards his mid twenties, unless he turns into Garrett Tony Potato. Where does he? I don't even know where he falls in the. What was, I don't even know. He's a defenseman, right? He was, I think, on. He was a Boston University guy. I'd have to go back, but I think on our uh, top twenty-five under twenty-five post this past season, um, if he was not like twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, he was just left off. Like he, he was on some people's uh, list, but not on other people's. Yeah, he's exactly twenty-five years old right now. Yeah, he's not like Taylor Ardenson. No. Um, I think that he's been passed over by guys like uh, maybe bringing in like a Stephen Elliott, and mm-hmm. they brought in a lot of marginal prospects. But again, all they have all they have to do is just hit on one of them. They got to hit on one Trevor Murphy, right? And then then that's fine. That's all you need at this point. Um, so I don't see him. Uh, Felix Gerard, I'm kind of on the fence about. I don't know enough about him. I think he's I mean, he's a good defensive centerman, but you know, I mean, they're the they're, the fourth line job may be open before too long, but other than that, there's not really a need. Yeah, it, well, it's funny though because like I hear uh, uh, more prospects' names more than others because a couple years ago I heard his name a lot, but now it's starting to hear people like uh, like Max Gortz and uh, Max Reinhardt and just people like that. So name when, Max, uh, yeah, exactly. I guess Max is a good name for centers. Uh, but once I start hearing those, and it's like, okay, well, if we're hearing those then now and not hearing this guy's name who we heard previously, then that's a sign saying that nothing's building toward toward it. Yeah, and, you know, there's there's always this thing where fans or people who follow a team always get more excited about their guy. Like, we adore yeah. Colton Sissons, but the guy, like, projects to maybe, like, to top out at third-line center. Like, he's realistically a fourth-line player, and he's going to be, I think he's going to be a great fourth-line player, but he's not, you know... Yeah, I guess he's not going to light the world yeah. on fire. And, but we, but we love him for it even more. And, well, and other t- like people on other sides are going to be like, why do they up- why are they so obsessed with this guy? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because they've had some fourth line anchors on the team for the past like five six <laughs> years. It's not everything, just who he is, it's what he represents. Yeah, he's everything Gostek can do, but he can skate at the same time. He can That's also really he can also clear the zone, which Gostek is unable to clear the and zone. Exactly, there's actually a, a level of offense in his game too. That's maybe because maybe because he can clear the zone and skate. Yeah, uh, like a guy like Max Gortz is a good example. I mean, he's a uh, he has the same number of points as Kevin Fiala. Uh, I'm not. We're none of us here are big on plus minus. Uh, Kevin Fiala is a minus twenty, and Gortz is a plus nine. That's a pretty huge gap there. Uh, Fiala also has sixty two penalty minutes compared to Gortz's eighteen. I don't know what the. We did look at the breakdown of one of those penalties came because I think most of Fiala's are probably front loaded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, the the infamous school day game, probably. <laughs> but even we talked about him uh, twice earlier. Uh, Jonathan Ismaldiabi, 
at this point, we don't see him making the NHL as is because he's this, he wants to be a uh, you know bone crusher out there. Yeah, he's had over the past couple of years, and I remember you know three years ago, it was like wait till he develops, he's going to be a monster, he's going to be a mainstay on the Predators blue line. But he can't even get it done in the ECHL right now. He's been bouncing back and forth between there and the AHL for he's years. He's only played five AHL games this year, five. In the ECHL, he has four points. Yeah, well, that's he, not yeah, good. Well, he was never expected to get points. No, score, but, but you, you at, at that level, at least get yeah. points by proxy. I mean, you're you should at least get points just by being on the ice. You know, the other team is too scared to hit near him, so he just scores points by accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the the writing was probably on the wall when Rich Clune tried to when he got uh, Rich Clune so pissed off at him in training camp that Clune tried to fight him. No, I would have seen that. I would have loved to have seen that. It was, uh, he actually, what did he do? He, he like boarded Joe Pendenza or something like that. And Clune came right up to oh, him Joe and they Pendenza. were like yelling and screaming. It was like the first day of training camp. I'm looking, too. I'm looking at the East at the uh, Cyclones roster right now. Zach Budish is actually do, having a really good year in the ECHL. Well, that's great. That's great. Glad <laughs> that's, he's al- glad he's alive. I that, mean, that's like saying, "Oh yeah, my uh, my my cousin that I haven't seen in, t- in a decade, he got a really great job at a wind farm." I'm like, "Oh, that's that's good for him." I don't care. <laughs> no. Good for him. I'm glad. Well, Zach Budish was supposed to be like the big power forward. Oh no, I always I was yeah. like on the Budish train. Uh, <laughs> now I've been from a bus to a train <laughs> yeah. uh, for a long time. You uh, still got planes and automobiles left so work those in in the next couple minutes if Budish hadn't have hadn't had his uh, knee ripped apart multiple times that's, that's that goes a lesson kids don't play contact football yep don't ever it can ruin your NHL career ow my knee hurts now uh, just just, he actually that. has more goals at the ECHL level than he has uh, his last one two three seasons combined yeah, I'll be interested to see where where his career goes because um, he clearly has the drive to play pro hockey. I just don't know he's what he does. Well, he I mean, it's not like he's not going to make the NHL in all likelihood. So it's the question of does he does he want to be a career AHL or does he think he can do that? Does he think he wants to try, apply his trade in Europe? That would be a fine move for him. Yeah, you get more money mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I am a, I am itching to ask a uh, the the first of the five tough questions. But is there anything else you guys want to get into before we do this? No, I think we already be the powder to your itch. Yep, let's, let's do, do it. it. Five tough questions brought to you as always by a dynamic sponsor opportunity here. Number one, with the week that Colton Sissons had and seeing how he uh, has been playing beside skilled players such as Colin Wilson so far, and even if you remember back to training camp, he was beside Philip Forsberg for most of it, and they shredded training camp. Are you willing to wager that he will be the eventual third line center next year, or, or the year, pardon the year after next year, or sooner? I'd say year after next year because I mean I don't think that you know barring another collapse by Mike Fisher, which I don't think is imminent. Like he's Mike Fisher is not going to put up forty points again. He's not going to be the player that he was ten years ago, but he's still going to be a solid third line center if they wanted to have like some type of checking line role. Um, I think that where Sissons puts in is fourth line center unless Fisher gets injured. And then after that, that's when he might see if he can step up into that role. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to, to position it. I really do see Sissons as just being a top-notch depth player, fourth line. Uh, granted, I think I think the uh, delineation between what makes a fourth line and the third line in Laviolette's system is very fluid. So I could see Sissons making that transition given the need in the organization. But I also think if even a couple 
of the Predator Center prospects are hits or near hits, he's going to be really glad to have fourth line minutes and be a, to be the fourth line guy because it's going to guarantee him a career. No, there's nothing wrong with being a Marcus Kruger who's going to get paid pretty good money for being a fourth line center in Chicago. Well, Kruger's probably a better player than a fourth line center, but Chicago pushes you down the uh, depth chart. Well, they're smart enough to at least have, you know, that you can have four quality lines if you have four quality centers. Yeah, and, and I think that's what the Predators may have. I mean, right now, I think that's where they're at, uh, assuming Sizenskeet's playing. Uh, but I think it's just it to get better because I just I look at the list of, of centers the Predators have in, in the organization. It's like if one or two of these guys hits, it's going to be so exciting. Like Kamenev, yeah. we're pretty sure on. Trenton's a wild card. Novak's a bit of a wild card. And the rest of the guys, like, I really don't well, know I, I'm gonna say what to think about. What I really love about the Predators' approach is that they just said, okay, we know how the draft works. The draft is kind of like a crapshoot. Centers are really, really difficult things to pick up. You can pick them up. Uh, you can pick an elite center in the last round if you're super lucky. So let's just grab every talented center that everyone's got question marks around and see if one of them turns into something. Because I mean, the list of guys who who rate decently, who were centers: Kamenev, Trenton, Novak, Richard, Pedersen, Gaudreau, Reinhardt, Moy, Step. I mean, you've got just this list of guys who could filter anywhere from the top line down to the third line. That's a long list. And some of these guys are considered to be quite good. They just don't know if they're going to develop properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A couple hits and you are golden. And that's really how to, I think that's how to run the draft. Just chalk your prospect pool full of whatever talent you get your hands on and just hope they work out because and there's... Give, and give them time to develop. Yeah. Yeah. And that's almost a, a different thing than we, uh, at least myself, usually thinks as far as like you never want to draft for current need just because you don't know what's going to be in the next couple of years. But I think that Nashville did a good job of, you know, getting some of the players that they need like... Uh, previous draft, you know, Kamina, Fiala, uh, guys like that. Doherty was in that draft too, which their 2014 draft was really Kirkland. good. Mm-hmm. Kirkland was another one. So then they've got these and they, you know, they don't have a first round draft pick. They're, you know, at this point, it's just, you know what? These guys may work out. They may not. It doesn't matter if we're going to take a left winger. This, we need a bunch of centers. Let's just grab them it's at easier the very con- last. It's also easier to convert two well, wing than two centers. Yeah, you took the words right out of my and, mouth. And what if, okay, let's say you have this amazing moment and like four of these guys turn out to be legit trade you all of a sudden have something everyone wants and you'd be like oh you want a center well that's gonna cost you but we've got a whole range of wares for you and then they could if they could trade them before they get to the nhl a potential is everything mm-hmm. like you, you that's the reason why i mean i make a lot of uh, like wall street uh, analogies here but stocks with potential that haven't capped out yet that's where uh that's where the pre- where the um where your value is especially mm-hmm. with with prospects Number three uh, in other NHL news, uh, the Blues resigned Carl Gunnarsson. So that means now they have $57 million tied up into next year. And that's without signing David Backus, Jaden Schwartz, Troy Brower, or uh, Ty Ratty, one of their top prospects who is currently right now in the AHL. David Backus, per sources, has already earlier this year declined a $6 million contract so far. Jeez. So I ask you guys, what are the odds that the St. Louis Blues captain resigns in St. Louis? 20%. Yeah, I think he. I think he's actually interested in go, in trying out free agency. I I think that's a pretty strong indication. Yeah, and they're not. I mean, I don't think they're gonna try to resent Brower anyways. Would you? I uh well, I they mean, like- if if I were to say uh, GM that like truculence and Canadian good old boys that are quote machines with the media, then I might. But to pay him the money that he's probably gonna be looking for. I mean, like, Brower at this point would be a good, you know, third-line utility player. Um, So he should be making third-line utility player money, and I think that he'd be a really good pickup for uh, plenty of teams in the NHL 
but he's he shouldn't be paid, you know, four, five, six million dollars. The Blues have the money to actually pay him for this. The problem is that they're going to have they have more prospects. They're going to have to turn out around and resign, like Colton Pareko, Dimitri Yaskin are going to be due new contracts next the summer after this. Now, the Blues will have the cap room for it because Steve Ott is getting paid two point three million dollars. Nope, 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 nope. I'm wrong. Steve Ott's getting paid two point six million dollars this year. How much is Troy Brower making? 3.6. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll have the money. David Backus right now is, make, is making $4.5 million. I, I, I just really, you know, I look at St. Louis, you look at the trajectory, you look how they seem to struggle in the playoffs, and you, you don't think Backus looks like, I, there's 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 some really good teams out there that could use my services that probably pay really well, and then I'm not in St. Louis. If Ken Hitchcock, <laughs> if Ken Hitchcock isn't retained, uh, I think he has a better chance of resigning because it seems like Be that true. team... Just like, like we're just going to try to get through the regular season best we can, and then hope some works out in the playoffs. Yeah, and, and hopefully they sign their coach before free agency starts. Because I mean, that, that you know, <laughs> I'm going to sign, but I don't know that who is going to come in. And that, I so. mean, that's typically how it happens, though. Like usually June is right around the time that you figure out who's going to be uh, coaching where. Right now, as possible landing place for him. Now, this is very important to know. David Back has played college hockey. You know what that means. Detroit. He can read. <laughs> Minnesota, who has not had a top-line center in forever, could get another 2C. <laughs> Do the old Predators model. <laughs> yeah, except with much more money. Nico Koivu is making, making over $6.5 million a year. Yeah. So, I mean, the Wild are uh, uh, an enigma. So. Oh, hey, uh, question, actually. Yeah, did, sure. Did we do uh, question number two? Um, No, we did not. That was I skipped me. over number three. You, what yeah. you you read number three? I read number three. Yeah, I skipped over oh. number two. Okay. In a, um, so it ties back to question number one. Would you be willing to try? Uh, which was you know I was talking about Colton Sissons, you know playing beside Colin know, Wilson. We, can, we get excited. Had a really good week. Ourselves, I know. <laughs> you know. This is Colin Wilson and 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 and, and Colton Sissons. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Um, They're so handsome. They are. We just lose our minds. So Sissons had a really good week next to Wilson. Top line invisible this week. Are you at the point now where you'd be willing to try Colin Wilson back on the top line? I mean, are you swapping out Wilson for Yarncroke? Yarncroke. Yeah, why not? I, why not? Yeah, I guess the only um, uh, downfall that you might have with that is I don't know if Yarncroke's built really well to play on the fourth line. Um, but if you're cycling the puck and Yarncroke is good at doing that, and uh, maybe it's not as much of a physical line as you might think, but then again, that's what... Watson's yeah, there. I was going to say Watson and Sissons are four there, so I don't really have anything against it just to see maybe like, okay, Wilson, mm-hmm. your last time. I know we said this about like two years ago, but this is your last time. Oh, that's cool. You, you know, just send my watch to it, and that's fine. Okay, this is this is because we're talking about Watson and, and Wilson and all these guys. So the last be, Beneath the Ice they've been showing where they have Wilson and I guess is it, is it not Wilson. Watson and Batetto. Watson, Batetto, Gramberg. No, no. Wilson was was with them when they went to that when they went to get sandwiches. Oh yeah, that's right. He, yeah, they were. Yeah. He was. Was that they, was that just a Whole Foods? I thought I thought yeah. it was a Whole Foods. Because like, like I'm sitting there watching it because I'm like, okay, it seems like a Whole Foods, and then somebody's like, somebody just says like, oh yeah, great great choice on the spot. I'm like, it's a Whole Foods. I mean, are you that impressed? What 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 like. How are you awed by the Whole Foods? And like, Maybe, yeah, to get a good sandwich. Well, I, I mean, if, if you go to lunch, I went to Whole Foods for lunch uh, last Sunday. It was I'm a not, good lunch. Well, I know I'm not knocking the. I'm just. It's like, 
how do you just call that as the big? It's like, yeah, this was a good choice. Like, this place really, like, because the way he said it, he seemed truly, like, I can't remember who said it, but he was deeply impressed. Because he said it to Wilson or whatever. Yeah, maybe, I mean. As though he came to town and never be like, oh, you can get a sandwich at a, at a Whole Foods? This is really fancy. I mean, maybe it was if Potato in Long Island, that would make sense. Well, I mean, a lot I'm, of these guys are called up from the AHL. Yeah. So they're probably. <laughs> well, I mean, Watson grew up in Ann Arbor. I'm. Yeah. Dollars to donuts. There's a Whole Foods in Ann Arbor oh, somewhere. I just the whole. I found the whole thing very perplexing. Not. A, I. I feel like I should actually go online and watch the episode to figure out if there's there's like more to help explain <laughs> yeah. this. Do Maybe. keep in mind that that Austin Watson grew up in a household with ten kids. Yeah. So there's no way that they're going to Whole Foods. Yeah. Well, the that, well, that's what I was, that I was thinking about too. Because I was going to add on to that and saying like these are also like if it's people like Potato and uh, Watson. I mean, they're just now hitting you know a relatively decent payday considering what they've you know grew up with. So now they're getting into the spot being like. Ooh, I can spend this money here and there, and look at this, and it's their intro into the world of having I mean, a large wallet. I mean, in the AHL, I mean, they, it's not like they make pennies in the AHL. No, I mean, in comparison to what they make in the AHL, obviously they're they're looking at you know five to six figures, and at the AHL level, most guys are at, at at five figures, so they're making really relative to what may like, I don't know. Well, Fifty thousand I mean, and up somewhere in that range. So it's not like they can't afford to go grab lunch at a, out from time to time. I, 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 sorry, I'm way off topic, and it bugs me more than it should. But it's just, it just <laughs> was so strange that the way he said it, the tone in his voice, like they're like, "Wow, w- Colin Wilson, this was a fantastic idea. You truly are inspired in your lunch choices." I'm like, <laughs> there's there's really good sandwich places everywhere. Green Hills. Mm. Well, why, why would they? I mean, they had to go. It's like, oh, we should go to Green Hills. I found a great sandwich spot. It's like, What's it called? Yeah, Whole Foods, man. It's, it's awesome. <sighs> I'll stop now. <laughs> Number four. As of right now, the Dallas Stars have Alex Goligoski, Jason Demers, and Chris Russell all as unrestricted free agents at the end of this year. So when we look back on this uh, on this past deadline, are we going to look back at that Yerky Yokipaka deal for Chris Russell trade being one of the worst trades in recent memory given the Stars' blue line depth? Stars fans hated it. I mean, I think from what I gathered on Twitter a couple days ago, they're actually okay with Russell. I don't think he's been as bad as they thought that he was going to be in because I remember they were saying like, oh, where are the Russell haters now? He's actually doing a great job and he's you know one of the better defensemen, yada, yada, yada. But you also just gave up one of your better defensive prospects. And I don't know their blue line pipeline it's, as it's well. It's not bad. It's not bad. They have guys like Julius Honka that are you know that have an NHL future ahead of them. They mm-hmm. have a, they actually have a lot of uh of prospects on the blue line depth. The problem is is that none of them are none of them scream top four except for guys like Honka. I'm stunned that I even know that, but no, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the stars have have never really paid much attention to defense. They seem to do have a bit of a haphazard approach. So I, I just imagine that'll continue. Um, Nil seems to be great when he's picking up forwards, but when he's picking up defense, he's just sort of like, yeah, he'll do. Johnny will do, yeah, sure, yeah, great. <laughs> I uh, Johnny do is is well, he's played out of you know played way too high up the the depth chart, but he's actually decent. They really like um, Alexiak and Stephen Johns that are both called up right now. Um, I'm not sure either of them are going to crack the top pair anytime real soon. But uh, other than John Klingberg, they have Johnny Oduya and Patrick Nemeth signed going into next year. Oof. Well, and Steven Johns was the one that they got in the uh, sharp a sharp deal, right? Yeah, because yeah. I remember that they were really high on him. They have a lot of contracts falling off after this year. Rob. Moen, Fiddler, Eves, uh, Colton Sevier, and uh, Nichushkin's an RFA after this year. So I'm not saying this is like a flash in the pan for the Stars, but the Stars need to make hay while the sun's shining because you have Jamie Benn, Patrick Sharp, Alice Hemsky coming up next summer, all as UFAs. 
I mean, Jamie Ben's going to get re-signed, but uh, he's only making five. Uh, he's yeah, only, he's going to get paid. He's only making five point two right now. He's going to get close to like the nine million dollar range mm-hmm. as is. So there's, I mean, there's some interesting uh, UFAs coming up this summer who might have some interest in coming to Dallas. So I mean, I th- I think they might have an opportunity to spend some money to bring in some free agent talent. Yeah, maybe that's when they go out and get damn Hamus again. Well, I mean, I don't know. I was because I was thinking, oh, maybe Hamus. Well, he's 33, so you know, that's. I mean, uh, yes, but at the same time, if you're having, uh, if you're veteran D guys are all leaving, why not bring in someone and have play, have him play in the you know bottom three somewhere? Because I mean, you have no other than Johnny Oduya as it stands right now. That's the only defenseman they have over 30. Yeah. And I mean, and let's not pretend that Hamus is not a great defenseman. I mean, he at this point he's a passable, uh, a passable guy who would be fine for them. Yeah, like a fine middle pairing defenseman. Yeah. The problem with would be that if they sign him, they'd probably ride him way too hard. But that's fine with me. Yeah, I mean that's not our problem at that point. <laughs> Jordy Ben. <Jeez. laughs> yeah, we talked about it before. No sport loves nepotism more than the NHL. Adore it, adore it, <laughs> adore it. It's, it goes, it goes. Original six brothers on the same team, multiple brothers in the same team. The Sutters, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, after that, it's kind of gra- for grabs. They love the Sutters. Love a Sutter. Last question um, of the tree at the top of the uh, Central Division right now: Blues, Stars, Blackhawks. Which team are you predicting to win the division? We may have already covered this, but I want to hear it solidly. And number two. Which team do you predict to be the most danger of being caught by Nashville? The most danger of being caught? Like in the standings like before the regular season ends so that yes. that team goes into the wild card spot? Um, this is this is a relative answer because I think the correct answer is none of them. Right. Um, but it's the team with the fewest points. Uh, I, pick, I mean, pick Chicago, Chicago or St. Louis. I think uh, maybe Chicago just because they don't, they're, they're – very comfortable with wherever they fall in the playoffs, so they're not going to push themselves. They're not going to risk injury for points in the standings because they're basically locked in a spot. So I think they're probably at the most risk. As for who I think is going to be the winner of, I'm going to have to stick with the Stars. Yeah, I I mean, I like what St. Louis is doing right now. I just don't know if that's going to continue until the very end of the season considering there's 15 games left. Um but it'll be interesting to see what they do towards the end of it because uh, if they get their whole roster back, which is not something that they've had at all this season, I feel like they're going to be doing some more like uh, experimenting, feel out, kind of get ready games for the playoffs rather than, you know, we are in it to win the division. It's like, okay, well, we've got uh, Steen back. We've got Petrangelo back. We've got all these. We've got uh, Elliot back. Let's use these pieces how we're going to use them in the playoffs and get ready for that run. Keep in mind, this is also a St. Louis Blues team that cannot exist without a goaltending controversy. Yeah. So who's going to be the number one there? Allen. I assume there's going to be a spill, a toxic waste spillage, and. Uh... It's called Provel. <laughs> That's not a spillage. That 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 is that is the, the beginning of a foundation yeah. of, a con- of a building. I was going to say the, the the truck falls over, and then about like ten minutes later, it starts to kind of seep out. Pervel spills like glass spills. It takes hundreds of years and really poor construction. Wow. I'm looking at the uh, Minnesota Wild uh, cap geek page just because I had that 
when my last window's open. Um, I was that was a rejected five. Capke, really? Sorry, General Fanager. Like what you have, you go in the like, way back machine in an archives. Yeah, just I, I had my cash, you know, just going through that. Um, we talk about the Dallas uh, having a lot of UFAs, <laughs> like Minnesota RFAs this upcoming year. Uh, Grandland, Niederreiter, Howla, uh, Darcy Kemper's an RFA, probably gonna get paid. Matt Dumba gonna get paid. Uh, I do apologize. Grandland and Niederreiter and Howla actually have been retained to the end of next year. But uh, Zucker and Schroeder are your RFAs this year for the Wild. Um, so it's Dumba. So the Wild have all of, um, right now they're right at around $70 million. They have $64 million committed next year, and that's with eight forwards, six defensemen, and one goalie. So they have to sign, conceivably, another five forwards, two defensemen, and one goalie with... Uh, Whatever the cap is, minus say, sixty-four, like six, million. seven, eight million dollars. Yeah. Wow. May- maybe Ryan Suter can teach them how to build really good scarecrows, and they can just teach those to skate. I mean, that's not including that you're going to have David Jones' salary falling off for four million dollars. <laughs> which, yeah, David David Jones getting paid that much money by Calgary. So, anywho, uh, looking ahead to uh, this upcoming week, they start with Monday against the uh, always fearsome Edmonton Oilers. Um, is there any reason why this would not be another? Um, Another infamous uh, Predators Oilers beatdown, or no? It's a, it's a down, trap game. Yeah, it's yeah, a trap it, game. Exactly. And they come home to play the Islanders, and then they go to DC on Friday night. Um, I think if they get out of this week with another one, one and one, I'm okay with it. But I would stop because two of them on the road, one of them's against the best team in the NHL right now, uh, and they got a homestand coming up. That said, I mean you're gonna have a back to back on Thursday and Friday as well. Um, I'm okay with one, one, and one. I would like to see uh, two wins, but I'm not going to cry if they don't. No, no. As long as they keep getting, uh, if they get three points, three of a six possible points, I think that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, one, one, and one. I think is a very fair result, especially when you have to fly Nashville to DC. Granted, that's like a two-hour flight. Oh, less than that. It's so it's so quick. I'm just basing it off of like Nashville to Philadelphia, which is just like a two-hour flight. Yeah. Well, actually, it's two hours back. It's less than an hour going up. Yeah, I was about to say. It seems like it would be you're kind of going reverse there. Um, how does that work? You're actually flying against the Earth's turning. You know, well, it has to do with wind and and. That's right. You're flying with the wind. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And also, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there is some rotational aspects, but I don't. Man, I'm not a phys- hard. I'm not a physicist or a pilot. Physicist. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, is there anything else before we uh, close the book on this episode? Uh, I, I will reveal that I'm not a pilot, so there you now you do know. Uh, oh, you should have told, yeah, you should have made him wait till next week. No, I, I don't want this to be a serialized drama. I think we need to keep things honest and direct. So we'll kill off Link this week, and the next week it won't yeah, ma- even matter. Everything will be okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, John, did, I, I did work in a plane reference. So. Oh, that's true, yeah. yeah. Um... You said honka, so we got the car reference in there, so we're good. Wow, I, I'm I'm stunned at this level. Of I think we're I think this is a bit of a reach, <laughs> but I'm good with it. I'm okay it, with fine. it. Fine. Yeah, if we end on that note, I think we're good. You can find him on Twitter at 3D Link. You can find John on Twitter at jgarcia36. Hmm? I have a name, Dan. Yeah, so you can find Link on Twitter at 3D Link. Did he? Yeah, he, he did. Out. I don't know. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Dan D. Bradley. You can follow us all at, at on the four check. Um, it's all the oaky beer. Yeah, it was all that oaky beer. All that oaky deliciousness from north of the border. All right, everybody, have a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.
Yeah, I won't see it.